Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, how you doing? My name's Kyle. I surf, I make movies, and I love asking questions. Before we get started today, I want to let you all know about a new mini-documentary that I hosted with Seeker Network about the impact that cesspools are having on Hawaii's coral reefs. Uh, here's how it works. Coral reefs are super badass. One in four marine organisms live in association with coral. They are the Amazon rainforest of the sea, and they're super important. Did, all right, did you know this? This is something crazy about coral. There are certain types of coral that on one night a year, it, coral all over the world, completely separate locations, on one night, they'll all ejaculate and the sperm and the egg of different coral will float up to the surface. They'll float around for days on end, days, until they find each other. And then that can create new coral. That's one of the ways that coral breeds. They're aliens. But they're in trouble. And in Hawaii, one of the main things that is killing coral are high nutrient levels. This is how it works. The thing that keeps coral alive is zooxanthellae. It's a single-celled organism that gives it its color, it, it makes it grow, and when we talk about a bleached reef, we're talking about coral with the absence of zooxanthellae in it. Um, zooxanthellae needs direct sunlight to survive, and one of the things that, that kills it is, um, like I said, high nutrient levels because it creates an algal bloom that coats the coral and um, it obstructs it from getting direct sunlight, and it can give it all kinds of sketchy diseases that the coral doesn't like. Now, Hawaii still uses uh, cesspools. Most um, places in the United States are on septic tanks or on main sewer lines, but there are approximately 88,000 uh, active cesspools in Hawaii. And homes that use cesspools, which are basically a... a hole in the ground that all of your shit goes into, um, houses that are close to the beach, basically there's there's no time or very little time between when that toilet is flushed to when the shit reaches the ocean. So you get crazy high nutrient levels in the water and that creates algal blooms, which uh, kill the coral. So we went over there and we did a story on the impact of cesspools in Hawaii. So you can check that out on my website, kyle.surf, or just type it into YouTube. My guest today is Frank Solomon. I recorded this podcast a while ago with Frank, um, and I've been sitting on it. And just the other day, Frank and his team, um, who made his film Let's Be Frank, won the Surfer Pole Movie of the Year Award, which is a huge deal. Massive congratulations to everyone involved. I highly recommend the movie. I, there is no surf movie that has ever um, come out that is that is like this one. That's all I can say. Um, Frank is a big wave surfer and an all-around good guy. He is a true testament to the fact that if you enter a situation and you make that situation a little bit brighter, just a little bit brighter, positive attitude, life unfolds before you. Because Frank does that um, really well, and he, as a result, he has friends all over the world, 
and life is working out pretty well for him, and I, I couldn't be happier. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with a couple of surfers talking about life. We, we go into his uh, origin story coming from South Africa and, and making his way over to America, working in a pizza parlor in San Francisco, surfing Mavericks, um, working, cutting down Christmas trees to, to stay over here to surf the season. Um, we get into a lot. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you like this podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes, share it with a friend. Without further ado, here is my man, Mr. Frank Solomon. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. You're gearing up for quite a flight. Yeah, 40 hours um, back home through Dubai. So this first leg is 17 hours straight, which is pretty tough. From LAX to Dubai? 17 hours. What do you do on the plane? <laughs> you watch a movie, that's two hours, and then you sleep for eight hours, and then you still have another eight hours. What have been some of the best... Um, tricks and tips you've learned over the years for tricks these long flights i always get an aisle seat um i hate being boxed in especially on a 17 hour flight um i try and obviously get a seat with no one next to me um are you traveling with surfboards no that's, that's the worst it's a whole nother animal traveling without surfboards as opposed really, to with yeah, surfboards. so the next part of the trip i'm taking boards to europe um or the London premiere because I'm going to Ireland after. I'm really freaking out about that because it's just going to be so stressful. What boards are you bring? I'm just bringing. I'm bringing a lot. I'm bringing like eight boards. Um, so I have to like somehow leave them in the airport in London and still go to the premiere. I don't know. It's going to be. What's your worst travel surfboard story? Because for people I, who I don't think know, just it's having like a lot of big boards and like. And then having like a backpack and like a suitcase. It's just like you only have two hands, you know? It's super hard to manage like four bags and one is like 10 feet long. Yeah. And people are like staring at you like an alien, like, what is that in that bag, you know? And, like, and you get absolutely raped by certain airlines. Oh. And it is completely up to their discretion yeah, exactly. if they want to let you in. I just got back from Puerto Escondido and there was a big swell down there. So I brought. Five boards. Mm -hmm. um, I made it to... I flew from San Francisco, right? And it was the most stressful thing ever because yeah. I, I got to San Francisco. My flight was a red eye, so it was midnight. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get into sweatpants, yeah. hang out, got my pillow around my neck, show up in line, barely make my flight because, first of all, there's a huge line. I get there, and they're like, oh, sir, how many boards do you have? And I had five, and I was like, well, I have three. Um, because that seems like, well, you're only actually allowed two in this board bag. And I'm like, oh no. So they're like, well, you're going to have to open it up, sir. I'm like, oh shit. You know, the, the moment of, uh, 
of panic when you feel like you're yeah. smuggling, you know, I've actually two had pounds from, of heroin when really it's just two extra surfboards. Friend as well, also going to Hawaii, they're like, "How many do you have in that bag?" And I was like, two And they're like, "Oh, let us look." And then there was like four. Yeah. And they're like, oh, "We're gonna have to pay charge per extra board." And I was like, "Wow." So they made me take two out, right? Because they said, "Well, you just can't." Uh, have that, have that in the yeah. board. I'm like, well, what does it matter? I'll pay the extra, yeah, whatever. I yeah. just, well, I want I these words to come, come out. But, the, but then they're like, no, you just can't have them in the board bag. <laughs> so then I'm like, well, what's the thinking there? You just want me to take them out so they're going to get dinged up. So they finally make me take them out because I'm like, fine, fuck this. I'm going to miss my flight. Take them out, ship them separately, give them the credit card, bend over, make it to Mexico City, where surprisingly all of my boards also make it. As well as um, the ones that I left naked ended up not no getting done. No board sock nothing. No board sock nothing. Wow. Yeah. Not, not dinged. Yeah. I said a little prayer for them. Were they dinged? No, no wow, dings. That's amazing. No dings. They made How it. is that even possible? It's not a nice person. I've, you know, I, I heard. I feel like they just be throwing them into the plane. Well, sometimes when they're light and they're single, um, maybe they'll put them on top. But this isn't the end of the story. This is just chapter yeah. one. So then from from Mexico City, I fly into Puerto Escondido, mm-hmm. which is a small airport. None of my boards make it. No. Oh, okay, whatever. But, you know, bummer, but at least they'll be here maybe tomorrow, right? And still two days out until the big swell's mm-hmm. coming. Don't show up the next day. Don't show up the next day. Luckily, Greg Long has a ton of boards down there, and he let me borrow some boards for the swell. It took four days for them to show up from Mexico City because they simply refused to put them on the flight to Puerto Escondido. I had to go to Hotulco. I had to go to Hotulco, yes, which is the the airport south of there. And I had to go into Puerto Escondido and uh, into the airport and and, uh, basically argue with the lady for like four hours because like oh yeah well maybe tomorrow I'm like you said this four fucking days ago okay <laughs> but this is not this is not cool yeah. so i finally said okay reroute them to watulco and then i got a cab driver to get them up but surprisingly this story isn't that uncommon no i've been through the exact same thing in porto yeah same thing and uh when i spoke to the lady she's like they can't fit on the plane i'm like well look at the plane and look at my board like how can the board not fit on the plane yeah and uh, yeah, my boards also got rerouted to Hotuko because bigger planes go there apparently. So I was actually on the airport in uh, Mexico City, and I saw them like trying to like they're like kicking, like, you know, like trying to fit the board into the board bag, like, <laughs> kicking oh, it. I was, like, kicking it. Oh no! And then it just like fell out, and I was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> just like banging on the plane window. But. So um, speaking of traveling, what uh, are some of the main things that you always take with you traveling around the world? Besides surfboards, um, in my in your bag, in my bag, yeah, my toothbrush, toothbrush. <laughs> Let's thank, Let's thank, thank God for that. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. I have one thing that I always have. I actually, I mean, it depends where you're going. So I don't jump know. ropes. What? How do you? No, I guess uh, I always take a yoga mat, um, and I always take a foam roller. Put that in my board bag. But I mean, it depends where you're going as well. You know, sometimes in terms of what you're gonna wear. But one thing I am pedantic about is like my travel bag, the actual like backpack. I really like to have like a really good travel bag where I know where all my little things are, you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess the main thing I've learned is having good like 
A good bag. A good bag. <laughs> do you check it or does it go on with you? No, the one I take on with me. Because, I mean, like last year I was away for six months, you know, every, I, everything I had was in two bags, you know, so it's hard to pack for something like that. Wow. But so what else goes in for a six month trip around the world? Obviously all your standard clothes and stuff. And then, um, um, yeah, well, I mean, as long as you got your boards and your suits for me anyway, and some clothes, I mean, that's why you're going. You know, there's not like anything. I, I mean, obviously now I try, if I'm going to Ireland, say last time I was there, I didn't have coconut oil. So I brought some coconut oil and I brought some like green powder or just something healthy you know to to have during that like disgusting like plane voyage you know when was the first time you came to america um was nine years ago nine years ago yeah, to san francisco tell me about that first time <laughs> yeah it was a crazy time um i don't know what uh i didn't really know i don't what... know what you've heard all right but <laughs> let's set the record straight yeah, because i've heard this mean. story a few times yeah. so um I met uh, Grant Washburn and some of the Mavericks guys in my hometown in Hot Bay, um, surfing dungeons. It was during the Red Bull event, and they said, "Hey, Frank, you know, you should come to America." Well, actually, they said I should come to America and be on this TV show that MTV were going to do about all the best up and coming big wave surfers. We're going to be in like one big house, like a Big Brother type thing, in front of Mavericks, and then like Greg and skinny and flea were going to be like the judges and the winner would win a, a, like an invite into the contest i was like whoa sounds insane it was just like when um the like reality tv reality tv was like yeah. getting like super huge. boarding house there was all those it was just kind like of peak realities right yeah. yeah and i was like whoa yes i'm gonna be famous like it's gonna change my life like, yeah i'll definitely do that <laughs> and then i got to like literally i feel like as i was boarding the plane to america like the economy just crashed like 2008 2008 <laughs> as you were boarding the plane <laughs> it was just like done bro i was like that's not gonna happen like all that money just evaporated like people it was really hit america hard big um, time um um there was like car lots you know just no cars in them like big car lots and people didn't have jobs and i got to the airport and i'd been speaking to washburn and he's like <laughs> and i was like oh you should, he grant was, washburn's grant, a, a grant, big wave surfer who lives in san francisco yeah grant washburn big wave surfer big wave legend mavericks legend probably surfed there more than anyone possibly um and he was like, oh, you should come. You know, it wasn't like we were exchanging a lot of emails. He was just like, you should come. And I was like, okay. And then um, when I arrived, um, I, you know, ignorantly ex expected him to just be there, you know. And he had obviously, during the my travels, it mailed me that the waves were going to be really good that day and that he wasn't going to be able to make it. But I never got that mail. This is pre-cell phones. Yeah, so like, you know. Or you didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone. Then. 2008 there were cell phones there were cell phones but they weren't smartphones really. yes yeah so um get to the airport like standing around like an hour two hours three hours five hours at san francisco airport yep and i'm like okay <laughs> what should i do like getting pretty emotional like i asked the cab driver like hey can you take me to mavericks and he's like yep that's gonna be like 200 dollars i was like whoa like 
$200. I already got like $300 for my whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not giving you all my money. And then I was like, I got pretty slow stressing. It was such a long travel. You're like delirious from tiredness and stuff. So I was like, phone my mom. I was like, mom, I think I'm just, I'm just going to come home. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know where this guy is. I don't know where to go. Like, And then I don't know, something, I guess I convinced myself to go into the city. But like on the way, I tried to get the, the Muni and I had to, you had to use a card. My card didn't work. So I had to ask people for money to go on the Muni and ended up in the Tenderloin, which is like a um, dodgy area. Is that the right term? I don't know if it's dodgy. It's sleazy maybe. <laughs> it's it's one of the dodgier parts of San Francisco, yes. <laughs> and like this um, shelter, for, I thought, like shelter for homeless and like homeless, like homosexual people or something. I don't know. What? I don't think there's a shelter for homosexual people in San Francisco. I don't but know. I just felt like all the people in my room were like, maybe they put all the people that, like, like you know what I mean? Like, I had four guys in my room who were all um, into men, like homosexuals. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to America in the tenderloin. In the tenderloin. <laughs> First Trying few hours getting, getting, hit, like, off, I, I getting wanna, hit on in a homeless I shelter. Here, I mean, you got to think of context. I was there to surf Mavericks like this amazing wave, and here I am, like. And then I get in, I get into my room, and these guys are all getting drunk, and they're like offering me wine. I'm like, dude, like, what am I doing? Here? You know, like this is horrible. There's like crack addicts screaming outside, and uh, the jet lag. I barely slept, and these guys were raging in the room. And then I made it through, and then yeah, the next morning uh, I came outside, like questioning life and watched me I was like hey bro what's up uh I was like Ron where were you he's like oh the waves are firing sorry bro and I was like and he's like how did you end up here <laughs> so yeah that was a pretty interesting story um he actually was filming me the whole time as he came to pick me up I'd love to see that footage how did he know that you were in this hostel I, must have, I mailed him I guess from the or I think I guess I tried to call him from the hostel. I can't remember the details, but he's got the footage of me of me walking outside and like being like, "What's up?" He still has it somewhere. He was filming me coming out. <laughs> so yeah, it was a pretty interesting uh, introduction. Meanwhile, you had no reference to where Mavericks is to San Francisco. No, I no. I like looking back. I honestly don't know what I was thinking. Like no, Mavericks is probably an hour away from San Francisco airport. Yeah, it's far. And I don't know what I was thinking. I should have, but it was kind of pre like just Googling things and, you know, figuring everything out. Um, Rick can take me to the North shore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just assumed ignorantly that, um, wash would be there. Uh, but we hadn't communicated enough for me to assume that, you know? So, so yeah. Well, I mean, that's not the end of the story. Then I assumed I was staying with him because he was the only person in San Francisco that I knew. And he takes me to his friend's house, Jeff. And I'm like, and Washman's like, yeah, well, um, you're going to be staying with Jeff. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, what's up, Jeff? <laughs> and, and as I got in there, all the boys were like smoking this huge bong. The place was like smoke, like billowing out of the sides. And they're like, what's up? Are you sleeping in the back? And I'm like, go and he's sleeping in like this medicine cabinet. And they were kind of raging that night. And, um, I've not never really been much into smoking. Um, and they're like, you're not like Twiggy. I just heard them screaming like, he's not like Twiggy Washburn. I thought you said he was cool. And I was like, God, I'm like in the back, like, oh my word. 
well, how am I going to spend three months with these people? Like, they don't even like me. <laughs> Day one, you know? Um, so, yeah, that was the start of a, a good friendship. And then you stayed I, in I'm California staying. for three months. Well, with the guy. I still stay with him when I go there. Like you guys eight, became friends. Yeah, eight years later, we still speak to each other all the time. So. so when you first came to America, you were not a sponsored pro surfer? No, no. That didn't even seem... I mean, at that point, I was, I'd finished university and I was kind of just, I guess, kind of just wanted to do something different. I, like, being a it didn't seem like a reality, really. Why yeah. did you want to come? Um, I guess what actually got you to... To come. To come. Uh, I mean, obviously, I wanted to surf Mavs and I wanted to get waves out there and... Um, you know, I think that idea of what Wash was saying I should do sounded like a good opportunity. And that's why I, I thought I'd follow that opportunity. Th- that it didn't work out the way that I thought that first time with the show and everything. Um, seems kind of weird looking back now because, you know, so many things have happened since then. And how it actually started with the show and now I've made like a movie. So, so how did you... Um afford to live in san francisco then for the rest of the time without the show happening this well i work no i can't i'm not allowed to work in america so okay but you were you were you it's i don't think the fbi is going to become knocking on your door we heard you on the kyle tierman show (laughs) you never know bro uh yeah i mean i just did odd jobs you know for people and and um that first year actually I, i went and worked at a pizza place and and like, uh, I don't know, working was just, people work, everyone works. I, I didn't see it as like a big deal, you know, just, I was there and I didn't have money, so I worked. Tell me about that first interaction walking into the pizza place. Uh, yeah, that was pretty awkward. The first day was pretty weird. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, I, one of Jeff's friends knew someone and like, they were like, oh, the pizza place, people who were still my friends. <laughs> um they were just like, cool, you can start out as like a bus boy, you know, like bus tables. I was like, oh, pretty, pretty simple job. So, yeah, I just started like that. Cool. <laughs> and it seems like your life as a whole has kind of evolved that way, where you're, you're just someone who people like. And as a result, one step has led to the next step, which has taken you all around the world, which has now led to sponsorship by Hurley, which has now led to a whole movie that's being that was just made about you, which I saw, which is kick ass. Yeah, we can talk fine. about that in a sec. Yeah, yeah. But what is it that you think you do differently than other people to um, allow for this life to happen for yourself? Um I don't think I'd do anything differently. <laughs> um, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see other young travelers make? I think from like a surfing perspective that it, it's when I was doing that and how the whole movie actually came by, I was like, I was working and stuff, but I was still like kind of, I started a Facebook page, but I was posting photos of like being in San Francisco and like, Oh, look at the Golden Gate Bridge. Maverick didn't break once like, the whole time I was there, but it was like, here's Ocean Beach. I never said, hey, but I'm also working at the pizza place and it's so hard and, you know, um, 
um, because everyone has to work. Like, I don't know. I don't like the, when people like, not that I don't like it, but I don't, um, it doesn't like, I don't buy the story when, when young surfers are like, oh, it's so hard. You know, no one wants to sponsor me. Like, feel sorry for me. Like, let's have a fundraiser or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Other people have nine to five jobs and they sit in the office. So I just uh, consciously actually was like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to advertise that. I, I'm going to advertise what I would want to see if someone was sitting in, in a desk, you know, like someone could live like vicariously through my travels or whatever. It's interesting though, because I find that aspect of yourself of just kind of like oh, just one foot in front of the other, you're not too good for any job, incredibly inspiring. Um, and it's frustrating for me to see a lot of young pro surfers, um, especially kids that grow up in a place like Southern California that um, feel entitled. Entitlement. I guess right. There's that, the there's the entitlement, right? But I think a lot of, sorry to interrupt, but I think a lot of it has to do also growing up in like a third world country where, you know, you have to kind of hustle from an early age. It's not, life's not like super easy. Right. Yeah. Tell so, me about that. Um, I think South Africans in general are just, it's a different lifestyle than America, you know? Um, you kind of have to make things happen for yourself. Right. Uh, from an early age, from school. Um, you gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta be street smart where I don't think I'm like where we are right now. You don't really have to be. Yeah. San Clemente. I think there's like one homeless person. Here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, when I'm here, like it doesn't feel real. I mean, it's so amazing and how yeah. like, the place is beautiful and everyone's so friendly, but it just, it doesn't seem like reality. I have found that a lot of my favorite people in the whole world are South African. And I've tried to deduce why that is. And I think that it is because of that reality that you need to grow up in. It creates a kind of person that is just more legitimate. Mm. That I find that most South Africans will look me in the eye, shake my hand, and talk about something real more often than someone um, who grew up in some vapid nothingness universe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of, not everyone's right. cool in front of Africa. There's a lot of like people that aren't like that. But I don't know. It's Yeah, it's definitely a very different lifestyle right. to what people experience. Yeah, and it's also very, very far away. Like it's on the bottom of, if you looked at the map of Africa, put your finger at the very end, that's where we are. Like mm. we're literally thousands of miles away from Orange County with, you know, blue skies and... yeah. One of my favorite um, guys in, in South Africa, we were having this conversation together and he said, you know, that I, I think a big difference is a lot of South Africans aren't waiting for the government to solve their problems. There's a, an openness about the fact that the government in South Africa is corrupt. Yeah. The government in the U United States is corrupt as well, but um, maybe U.S. politicians are just better at hiding it, right? Um but there's not that sense of waiting for the government to solve your problems. Yeah. The, the guy I'm talking about is one of the best big wave surfers in South Africa, and he started this um, company that makes bags out of sails. Yeah. Um, it's called Sealand Gear. And it, it, it was indicative to that sense of picking yourself up by your bootstraps and understanding that, hey, there's this market of old sales in Cape Town that no one's using. I'm going to start a company out of this and make these badass bags as a result yeah. and go charge big waves. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, Mike. And uh, 
I like that. That's something that I that I appreciate, um, and I find that to be a consistent thing when I meet South Africans. I think also like I don't, you don't get anything from the government. I, mean, I don't even relate to the government. I don't even in South Africa, it's not even a thing. Like you don't get compensation. You don't get like health insurance. Uh, like if you're unemployed, you don't get unemployment checks. Like hospitals not free. Um, so you're basically alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nothing really is looked after. I mean, your garbage and stuff gets looked after, and like the water, there's water, but I mean, they're not helping you really at all. You know? <laughs> right. So, well, growing up through the '90s, as apartheid was still in force, there was an embargo put yeah, on exactly. South Africa. So I mean, it, it was there was no trading and commerce from no. the global economy. So if you had a, a pair of sneakers, chances are it was a pair of sneakers that came from a company in South Africa. Yeah. And there was that, um, it's just a different it's kind a, of isolation for a long time that South Africans had um, because they weren't trading with yeah. a lot of countries around the world. I'm very grateful that I, I grew up there because uh, you also, um, like where I live in Hard Bay, there's like a huge uh, like favela like location there with, where people live in shacks. Yeah. Township. Township. And uh, favela. I'm Brazilian. I <laughs> well, I, more people have heard about yeah. favelas than yeah, townships. Exactly. But it, they're essentially communities of low-income people. Very, that, like people have nothing. Like yeah. One dollar a month. Type right. Of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they, they range, right, from um, either like a, a government housing, which is very basic yeah. house, to shacks. Plastic um, shacks. Yeah. yeah. Usually very dangerous uh, areas. Yeah. But you grew up next to one. Yeah, like in my town. So yeah. I think daily you're faced with like reality check, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, life's so hard. Well, that's no, not that hard. Yeah. There's people living in a shack right there. They don't have food. And here you don't really see that. So. It's easy to make it out of sight, out of mind. Very easy. Yeah. And, uh, that's why when like, I was walking in like, Laguna yesterday and it was so beautiful and everything was just perfect and the sky was perfect and people were just, I don't know, it just seemed not real. It seemed like, like a fairy tale. Right. Yeah. I guess that's the American dream though. I think the American dream is less about that and it's more about being able to climb the ladder. Yeah. Right, because so many places in the world, um, you know, you're born into a situation where there's i mean if if you're in india right you're in the caste system you yeah. are born into a certain into way. a certain place in society and no one's going to let you climb that yeah. ladder it's very difficult the american dream right was that people would travel here from all over the mm -hmm. world and they could work hard pick themselves up by their bootstraps and climb that ladder but do you think people are still doing that less and less i think that in the in the 50s and the 60s it was very much more um it, it, it was more legitimate that, right, you could be a um, a young man, go to college, get a job at a good company, and buy a house, buy a car, and support uh, your wife and yeah. your kids. You know, it was, and now it's like, you, you talk to a 26-year-old, like my age, now the idea of buying a house is crazy. You better be 
doing some serious errors and getting <laughs> some Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, you better either be Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> or John John yeah. if you want to be buying houses at, um, in your twenties. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, but just, just... Uh, yeah, so I think that it's 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 people. Um, are beginning to wake up to that and saying mm-hmm. like, wait a second, I'm, I'm making all the right decisions. Um, I went to college, I got good grades and now I'm what? $60,000 in debt and working yeah. at a coffee Starbucks, shop. Yeah. yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that a lot of that is, uh, due to corruption. Um, one of my favorite movies I've seen in the last couple of years is the big short mm-hmm. because it, it lays out so well in such an entertaining way, everything that is happening, but behind the scenes yeah to um keep that that wealth out of young people i mean it's a major crisis now um young people who are you know they go to college and think they're doing all the right things um and then they, they end up getting screwed and it's really sad have you seen the new michael moore one where to invade next no i haven't seen that one sure? is it good really i heard it's good it's really good what's it like uh it's really good it's a it's a it's a really interesting way to look at the problems faced in America. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Moore was, uh, he was one of my favorites growing up. Yeah, it's a really good documentary. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, right, like traveling a lot of what it does. Um, I, lo- I love that quote. Like, we travel halfway around the world to look at things that we routinely overlook yep. uh, in our, at home. Yeah, well, that's what the documentary is about. He travels to a nation and sees what's good about it like, in, and invades it. And then brings that, and, and with the thought of bringing that back to America. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so I took a trip to Cape Town uh, last summer, mm-hmm. and that was where we met. Yeah. And it was one of the best trips of my life. Yeah, that was. Uh, it was so fun. Not only because the waves are amazing there, the people are so cool, some of the most naturally beautiful areas I've ever seen. But also because there is that kind of realness, right? Where you can be in a a beautiful million-dollar home at the beach and you go two streets down and all of a sudden it's one of the poorest neighborhoods yeah. you've been in. Yeah. And that's not looking at that and pol- even po- politically or even morally, but just the sense of realness that it creates and the sense of, of aliveness that it creates um, was... Interesting to feel. I think and, it's because it's reality, though. Yeah, yeah. Not I mean, reality, I went in but... um, when when you left, actually, and uh, I went into Kailiche, which is the largest township mm-hmm. in Cape Town, um, because I was talking to a few people, and they said you need to meet this woman, Mickey. And Mickey is this old sixty-something-year-old um, black woman who was a maid for her whole life, mm-hmm. and then decided that um, that wasn't what she was meant to do and she went back into her community in Kailicha which is very poor there's a lot of um, rape violence even starvation in in certain areas Um, and she started a soup kitchen with on a shoestring budget barely Mm -hmm. any money and now she's feeding hundreds of kids every single day it was amazing and going in there and I got to to talk with her and I had a chance to interview her and and make a a short little piece about her if I go back to Cape Town I'm definitely putting her on the podcast yeah but it was so inspiring man like just just someone who was as grounded as her taking care of all these little kids i mean some of them i mean both their parents had been murdered and she's 
feeding them. I know it's inspiring. Some it's people, inspiring. It makes man. your life, makes you your problems seem so insignificant. Yeah, and just the amount of color and vibrance mm. in those communities um, was something that stuck with me. Yeah, and I, I remember very vividly coming home from that trip um, and just having a lot of just like, man, that was just wild there's so much right yeah. like you you get off the plane in south africa and it just hits you yeah. with energy in one way or another and coming back uh and i was supposed to write a story for um a, a magazine that i write for sometimes called santa cruz waves mm-hmm. a local local magazine um about my trip and i remember sitting at a place called verve coffee where you get these like four dollar yeah we've coffees. taken me there I think. yeah <laughs> in santa cruz looking around and writing this story and it was such an interesting um culture shock yeah. of j- just like man it, it's because you don't want to get on your high horse and be like oh my god like look at all these it, it's not i mean it's it's well that's what i was trying to say about it, like when i was in laguna yeah like, it's hard to explain the like that feeling you know it's yes like, it doesn't that's why I, the only way i can explain it is that it doesn't seem real yes like reality but it is obviously reality for the people that are there yes but just for globally i don't know that's not how it is really in life i don't know no it's not i mean it's it's not there are some crazy stats on if i mean it's like if you make more than thirty thousand dollars a year you're in like the one percent i think it's it's even less but it's crazy right and and one um aspect of that that is relevant is that there are a lot of uh, young pro surfers, right, mm-hmm. who have companies paying them to travel around the mm-hmm. world and essentially get photos of their products um, in good waves so yep. they can sell the dream and sell more products um, that don't actually seek that out, yeah. which is a big miss because y- you get these kids that are that are going to uh, countries around the world. Basically just staying in a hotel. Basically staying in a hotel, yeah. going and surfing the wave, surfing the swell, and boom, they're out. Out, uh, yeah. Um, which I, we've had conversations about this before around this similar subject. Um, and I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you get people more interested in doing that? I don't know. Yeah. It's and is it necessary for everyone? I mean, it, it, I, I think that there's, there's just a misconception about a lot of young pro surfers, right? Where they're like, well, you went to Panama and then like you went to Mexico. Oh, you're so, and then Chile. Oh, you're so well-traveled yeah. and global. <laughs> and it's like, wait, you don't speak one word of Spanish? Yeah. You never tried any, you had McDonald's. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> boy. <laughs> you, know. you had McDonald's when you were there? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is, I think, um, it's a missed opportunity, and also, is, is all I'm know, saying. I've met some young kids here that I'm like, they've said some things, I'm like, really? You really think that? You know, like, just in terms of uh, political issues or whatever, you know? Right. So what is the solution? Is it that... Is it as simple as that you need to ask more questions when you're abroad? I mean, that's one thing that I like about you is that you're always asking questions. When you're staying at my house in Santa Cruz or anything around, you're like, oh, what's, what's the deal here? What are the politics? What's uh, the social climate? I think you've climate? got to have an open mind. You know? Yeah. And I think that a lot of kids or whatever people, that stems from that you have an open mind. Your mom, your family, your filmmakers, you know, you got, you've always been asking questions, so... I think for us, maybe it's easier, but I think a lot of kids grow up in a sheltered environment where they're not taught to maybe question what they taught, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know what the answer is. Hog time and throw them in the Congo. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> throw them in Kailiche with, Ma- with Maggie. Um, with uh, Mickey. Mickey. Put them in there for a month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, talk about your movie. Yeah. Let's be frank. Let's be frank. <laughs> you were telling me about this movie a few months ago when you were staying with me in Santa Cruz. And you gave me the description. You're like, well, it's kind of like about... Um, you know, who who am I really? And like all these rumors going around about me. Um, but it's really weird. And I'm like, that, that sounds really weird. Yeah. But it's um, the best way that I could describe the movie, because I got to see the mm-hmm. global premiere the other night, is that it's a Wes Anderson, witty, comedic uh, story that kind of makes you look like the international man of mystery, which you... <laughs> Are because there are all these stories about like who is Frank? Where did he? Uh, how did he get here? Yeah. Who, wh- where, what's his story? Right. <laughs> so so it's it's this guy who wants to find out the real story about who is Frank Solomon, and as a result, they um, take this initiative to follow you around the world, trying to chase you down as yeah. you're like having orgies in LA and underground fight clubs in, in Ireland and smuggling drugs through Mexico. It's like this fantastical drama that John John Florence uh, narrates throughout. And it's really good because most uh, surf films don't have that kind of storytelling. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I don't know how I got sucked into this whole thing, but um, yeah, I actually met Pete in a bar and uh he was we he was at the screening of one of his other his first film right side wrong and this relates back to my first trip to san francisco he was like um he was saying oh man it looks like you lived the dream you know you're traveling the world and like uh you know surfing looks so fun and i was like yeah I don't really though. <laughs> like I actually sell Christmas trees and <laughs> work in a pizza place and work selling vegetables and do all kinds of things. He's like, really? He's like, well, oh, I always had this preconceived idea of who you were. And, uh, and he's like, he thought about it. He's like, oh, that would make a really cool movie. And I was like, okay, sure, bro. Like we were both pretty drunk at the bar. And, um, and the next day he phoned me up. He's like, oh, we should really do this, you know? And, uh, it was going to be a 15 minute, piece and uh ended up being that was going to take like you know three months and it ended up taking three years and it's an hour long so it's been quite a journey what was it like learning how to fight for an underground bar scene or was, it was it's basically like a fight club scene yeah that was really hard that was one of the more challenging things i've done um but i had the guys from vikings were filming an island and they came over for uh two weeks and tra- trained me in the studio how to fight and you know how to make it look real and but when we first started filming i really was i sucked and pete had like we spent all the budget to film the scene we'd hired this underground venue had 50 extras there's like five different cameras we blew every cent that we had at the time and and i was like going like just like like making these sounds like you know like rocky noises kapow yeah i was like bang bang (laughs) And Pete's, I, I just remember Pete just being like, oh, my word. And he's like, dude, can you, do you think you can do this? I was like, fuck, bro. I was like, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. And uh, so I definitely felt the pressure that day of the morning of the final, you know, I had to produce. 
But, uh, how did they teach you how to fake fight? Walk me through a situation because you got uh, a trainer to teach you how to throw a fake punch or yeah, get well, hit with well, a fake but they punch. were stunt coordinators, so they do that for a living. So they coordinate stunts for Vikings. So they they've done they do it every single day. So for them, it was quite easy. But it was just you know, like if I was walk me through a situation. Like if I was here and I and I punch you and you go like you take you turn your head that way or just like okay, like turn my head to the right. Yeah. Okay, I'm turning my yeah. head. You're punching. But if you if we go like that, and the camera's behind you on that side, it, it's gonna look real, right? So see. if the camera's over my so left shoulder and you, you punch you right, won't, you won't see. Like we can go like this, and you won't see that and hit you. Right. So it was more about like where the camera is, and how to move, like which way to move. You know. Right. So it was pretty cool. To learn that. There's one scene where. Yeah, they punched me in the face there. He punches you in the face, and it's a slow-mo shot of yeah. blood coming out of your mouth. <laughs> That's We did that. <laughs> he actually punched you in yeah. the face. How hard? It was pretty hard. Pete was like, you got to do it, man. you got to do it. I was like, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> and uh, but the guy was a professional, so it was cool. He knew how to make it look like it was really yeah, hard. And it was filmed with, like, with a phantom, a thousand frames a second. So if you like went did like that on your arm, you also see the ripples, you know? Right. So... There was a lot of things going on, but it was cool. Do you think that you could ever get into acting? Acting's really hard. <laughs> What's so hard about it? Um, I think I think trying to pretend to be someone that you're not and really like be that person. That's pretty hard, man. Like I take my hat off to the, some of those really good actors, you know. You have to like become another person completely. It's pretty crazy. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> My brother was uh, shooting um, the behind the scenes of uh, the movie Lincoln. Mm-hmm. The, it's like, you know, how they do the making yeah. of. Um, My brother's a, a shooter, and he said that one of the most classic things he ever saw was Daniel Day-Lewis, who played Lincoln, walking off set. And they're like, okay, break. Um, and Daniel Day-Lewis had to go take a piss. So he's walking into the bathroom, into this modern bathroom but he still has the Lincoln stupor. <laughs> so he's going to take a piss still in character as Lincoln. Yeah, I've heard those guys play the part the whole time they're filming. They're just in character. Yeah. It's crazy. Tropic Thunder style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't break character to the DVD commentary. <laughs> Why are you still playing a black man? <laughs> I know, but I don't have to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, man. I don't know. I think you can see why for four hundred years that word can, has kept us down. You can see why those some of those amazing actors, are, you know, it's talented. It's it's hard. It's pretty hard. Yeah, it's funny. People are like, oh, like we're relating back to how far away South Africa is. Now I was like, oh, I'm gonna show my movie in LA. They're like, what? Like you going to Hollywood, bro? Like you know, remember us when you come back? I was like, yeah, dude. Like, but like Steven Spielberg's in the audience and like all these famous directors. It's just, it's funny what people's conceive to be, you know, America and LA. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I was shooting the little piece on the woman Mickey in Kylie. Yeah. She's like, you from California? I'm like, oh, we're going to be famous yeah. like Tom Cruise. Yeah. I'm like, I oh, try YouTube, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. maybe we'll get some views. Yeah, Pick a good thumbnail. People, people are like, Oh, you know, he's so famous and that actor. And I'm like, nah. So you, um, I don't, I try have, not, I'm not trying not to expect anything, you know? Yes. And I think I've always done that kind of just, uh, if, if you do something to expect, like I never expected to be a pro surfer, but I, I kind of wanted to be there. 
but I didn't make I didn't think that I would be there. Was it everything you thought it would be? No. <laughs> How so? Um I just think once you start getting paid to do something it kind of takes away a little bit from the beauty of it in a way. I don't know. How so? Like when something becomes your job. Like yeah. when, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Has it shifted um specifically big wave sessions do you yeah, com- do you come at surfing surfing a big wave session at mavericks or jaws from a different mindset than I, you think you would have i think before? so yeah because you know you're like i'm getting paid like and guys are rushing and like i bet also because people are like hey that guy's sponsored like you got all these thoughts going on in your head where you should probably just not do that Yes. Can you think of a situation when you either made a really bad decision or a really good decision when you're having those thoughts? Um, um, I think I just put, maybe just put too much pressure on my, unnecessary pressure on myself, which was a bad decision. You know, in some, maybe those last swells of jaws, I was like staying with Elby and all these gnarly guys. And I was like putting so much pressure on myself to be maybe something that I'm not you know get the type of wave that they get but which is not the kind of wave that i get when i say big waves anywhere so yeah i think just putting unnecessary pressure on yourself yeah yeah um you find that you're i do yeah i do sometimes um i I really try and prep my mind beforehand Mm -hmm. as much as i prep my body beforehand um i find that it's almost like the difference between waking up in the morning and having an hour to do some stretching and maybe a little meditation and then meet the day. And then whatever comes at me, whether it's a bunch of emails of people snapping and, oh my God, I'm freaking out. And, you know, the whole world's on fire. I can deal with it a little bit better from a more uh, objective and centered point of view. Mm -hmm. I think the worst decisions I've ever made uh, while surfing big waves were when I felt rushed. Like, yeah. we got to get out there right now. Okay, yeah. right, go, go, go. But you're, you're truly in a life and death situation yeah. a lot of times. I mean, going out and surfing a wave like Mavericks or, or Jaws are I mean, some of the most dangerous waves in the world. Yeah. And if you're not making good centered decisions, um, you yeah. can get into trouble really quickly. So I take that very seriously. Um, I, and think, f- I think Jaws even just like, just paddling out there. Absolutely. You rush that paddle out. Just toast. You're on. Yeah. Yeah. You, so the jaws paddle out. Um, so I find myself in that situation, actually. Josh and them are like rushed out. They're like, not rushed. They were like out there. You know? So there's like, Josh Redman and a couple yeah. other big wave surfers yeah, from they, South Africa. And we walked down and they were like, oh, we out there, we out there. And I was like fumbling with my leash and my, I was trying to put my vest on and they're like already were out. Yes. And I was like trying to rush after them. You know, I don't know why. Yeah, you had the whole day to surf. You can't even surf for tw- like nine hours, you know. No. And uh, the rocks are kind of slipping. I just slipped on this rock like so hard, like bang my knee, knock my foot out. I was just like, that was a perfect example of what you're talking about. It just should have just been like, okay, go, go out, you know. I'm gonna get my stuff together. Yes. <laughs> Which is um, that palat's naughty. Oh, it's crazy! It's big, slippery boulders. <laughs> that actually move around so you're yeah. you're trotting across these slippery boulders that are uh as big as either bowling balls or bigger and some of them move so as there's six foot white water coming in you hear these boulders go yeah. and you can slip and tweak your ankle and like board. that and you have a huge board 
Huge. Huge board. Yeah. yeah. So just the paddle out is dangerous there. Coming in. Coming in as well. Yeah. Sucks. Um, How was your paddling in that? Was it fun? Uh, I kind of got worked paddling out, but kind of made it. Yeah. Um, just like had one on the head yeah. and then came out. I was scared shitless, dude. Yeah. It was the first time I had ever surfed Jaws. And I went over there with my housemate, <laughs> yeah. Tyler Fox. And um, I set very low expectations for myself. Yeah. I was like, I just want to paddle out and check this place yeah. out. Um, but at the same time, right? I mean, there is an element of putting your head down and rushing. Yeah. Uh, that is important to do. Uh, you, that's another thing you got to. You can't overthink it either. You can't overthink it, especially out there, right? Which is also another mistake I did. You know, you get in, in your own head, and then you end up maybe not getting the wave. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I find that it, at least surfing Mavericks, which I do a lot more, um, it really is this kind of um, ebb and flow of energy, even throughout a single session. Mm-hmm. Paddling out, I can be really timid and not really feeling it but then i get one and all of a sudden i start feeling a little rhythm mm-hmm. and okay i'm getting some good ones and then and then i try and okay if i'm feeling the rhythm i'm on and i want to ride that as long as possible yeah. because one wipeout, right mm-hmm. you can get three or four good ones and you feel like you're superman and then all of a sudden you get worked on one and y- yeah, I mean, you feel like you just got anally accosted by a forty-foot wave. <laughs> I think that's what makes big wave surfing so such an amazing sport, you know? right? It's like, it just humbles you like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you think about dying? Um, not really. No. Do you? I try not to while I'm there. But well, I was while I'm there. I, while I'm in there, sometimes I guess I, I I think I worry more about injury than death, like. I, Sometimes think, oh, I don't want to like hurt myself, you know. Right. But uh, I guess I have thought about it a little bit. I think it's a natural thing to th- to think the worst. Yes. It's like a human nature, you know. Where do you go in your mind? Let's say you're having some of those darker thoughts while you're in mm-hmm. the session. How do you let those thoughts either pass through, or do you hold on to them? How? What do you do? A uh, bit of breathing. GoPro's turning off, but it's oh, fine. It's okay. We got some footage there. Yeah, we're okay. Keep going. Um, I think just breathing. You know, I've been practicing yoga on time and that that kind of just trying to be present and not worry about that. Walk me through um, a breath coordination that you do out there. Um, I just you know take some deep breaths through my nose into my my stomach and full lungs and just exhale those emotions that I'm feeling, you know, right. <laughs> and, and just try and be present in the moment and not worry about something that is not going to happen because it's just a ridiculous emotion. You're worried about something that hasn't happened and it may not happen. Right. So you know what I mean? It's that kind of a weird thing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not future or present because it hasn't even happened. You may not catch another wave whereby you will be completely fine. Yes. You know? So worrying about dying is not really, yeah, that's a weird thing. Yeah, it is. Um, what are some of the best big wave sessions you've ever had? The best ones for me are, um, you know, not maybe not the biggest, but like a couple of days at Mavs where Josh and I were out and, and Washburn was out and it was just 
everyone went in and the and the waves went very good and then the tide like dropped out and the, it got glassy and it was like 10 to 15 foot just perfection and it's just like you and your three friends are, and then it's just like so fun you know and those are the and and surfing's about having fun you know yeah so those sections for me are the best have you always been um excited about surfing big waves i think so yeah from a very early age um not about i've just felt um comfortable in the ocean from a long time and i just feel present when it's big and i don't feel that the rest of my life during my day-to-day living you know like get so worked up and other stuff but i i find now when i'm out there i'm like Fuck, this is why i do it you know it's because nothing else is bothering me right now and people always talk you know right now being present is like a big thing and being uh, goddamn hippies yeah, talking goddamn. about presence yeah. <laughs> everyone's talking about it. Um, so i've I got bills to pay okay exactly <laughs> so i think that's i'm most present in that state which is pretty cool yes yes and uh, were some of your early big wave days out at dungeons, at dungeons which is the home spot in south africa and yeah. um, but also like Glendubno, where i grew up like the when I was doing life saving, the older guys used to like say they'd give me like ten rand to like swim out on the biggest day and like body surf the biggest clothes out of the day, and and I guess I just from early age just felt comfortable in waves of when and also I realized well waves are getting bigger like there's less and less people like this is epic <laughs> yes absolutely not so much anymore but. Uh, not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. There are a lot of people who surf big waves. I um, mean, you come from the home of that big wave surfing, you know? you got a long lineage of amazing big wave surfers. In oh, absolutely. Hometown. Yeah. I mean, all the older guys um, were kind of the pioneers, right? The Peter, I mean, it's the Peter Mells for and, you, kind of, you know, or having all those guys, like, not harder, but more expectation, maybe? Maybe. I definitely coming from that time. I definitely feel some expectation, right? If Mavericks is going off, coming from that time, and yeah. coming from Santa Cruz, yeah. and kind of feeling like, okay, this is. I mean, the guys from Santa Cruz and the guys from San Francisco have no been the ones that um, have owned it out there Especially for a Santa long Cruz, time. Really? Yeah, I mean, flea, skinny. Yeah, um, yeah. I like it, man. Like I, I I find that it's a very um, your roommate. My roommate Tyler is one of the best. Yeah. Um, I, I find that there's, I mean, a big aspect to surfing big waves is those kinds of mentorships that you can find yep. wherever you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just as simple as, I mean, you going to a place like, um, Maui and having a local say, Hey, this is the way you go out. This yeah. is where you do it to having a more long lasting mentorship. Like, um, it's been one of the, the, the most fun aspects of getting into surfing big mm-hmm. waves, um, for myself is having Tyler, who's my housemate, who's in the Mavericks contest, who's older than me, just be helpful, man. Like, show me yeah. the ropes, because there's so much shit that so you need shit. to know. And if you make a big mistake early on, it, it could be the could end. Ruin you, yeah. It could ruin you, and it could also, I mean, even if it, well, it's not, even if it's not. Nick uh, Lamb, also. Nick Lamb Santa is. Santa Cruz just won the contest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's one of the best. Yeah. Um, but. Eat. like I, I don't know where i was going with that i interrupted you um, what um what is the word of the contest at the moment are we allowed to talk about that the word of the contest is, are they having the contest again this year 
Um, I don't know. I would imagine that the Titans and Mavericks are going to have the yeah. contest, but I haven't really been involved um, with that since um, when, since it happened. And do you want to be in the contest? I think it'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely have gr- grander uh, because you're when you started that show, it was y- kind of to be in the event. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we we started the uh, a YouTube series for about a year where yeah. I was like, I want to. Uh, that was my goal too, was to get into contest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it's has been totally. That it was, was that. That's the first event I went. I was like, yeah, it'd be cool to be in this contest. Yeah, but again, it's it's for for me like getting in the contest. It would be super rad. I would love to go surf a heat with. Tyler and all these legends that I looked up to. That being said, I think that it's more indicative to a lot of work that I, um, you know, if you're invited to the contest, it's it's recognition on a lot of levels that you've put work in mm-hmm. to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, the best sessions are normally the ones with your friends when it's glassy and no one was around. Yeah, not forty foot. Right, and that was. Um, that was uh, uh, something that I learned uh, actually like, going out there uh, and being on one of the boats and seeing how the competitors do it. And at the tra- contest. At the yeah. contest yeah. this year, yeah, I got to go out on one of the boats and, and check it out firsthand. Man, the vibe out there is a lot different than uh, a small wave contest, yeah. right? Because there is a kind of danger involved. There's a kind of camaraderie involved that is real and something that was cool to see up close and personal it's like right on it's actually not so much about who wins it like Mm -hmm. yes that's that's rad but it's it's way more about i mean it sounds kind of cliche to say right but like it's about the friendships it's about you and all your buddies get to getting to go out and Mm -hmm. surf one of the best big waves in the world with just you know five or six other guys out like that's that's what's cool to me i'm more interested in moving forward um whether or not that happens and going and finding some new big waves and going on some adventures. Yeah, I think I've, I've come to that realization too. Like I was first ultimate for Mavericks contest. So, but you know, part of me is like, you know, your goal was to get in. Like you can't, it would be like an unfinished goal if I didn't right. one day get in. Yes. But I, I don't want to like have to, I don't want to have to like, I don't know. I don't want to have to become something I'm not just to get in the contest, you know? Sure. I mean, part of it, right, is that it, you... To, to get into one of these events, right, you have to be very dedicated to the spot, like yeah. Mavericks, right? And part of the little tinge is that a lot of times you end up surfing a wave like Mavericks when it's not very good. Yeah. And there are a lot of other spots that are going off exactly. that are better, right? So yeah. you miss a lot of days. I mean, the amount of days that I missed that were just going off in town... Um, yeah, it's a lot, but at the same time, they're, you know, setting goals and achieving those goals, um, are something that's important. And as surfers, we're usually lazy bastards and we need to set higher, higher, uh, goals. So who knows, man, it would be cool. All right. We're taking a breather because, uh, actually I'll, I'll just keep talking while Frank goes and gets some water. Um, no, you're good. I'm taking I'm taking Frank to uh, LAX airport right after this. No, well, I'm taking you to Huntington. to Huntington, and then he's yeah. getting a shuttle. So um, we should leave here at like three. Okay. Cool? We can we can go now. No. Okay. We, we can leave it a little bit later. Okay. I've just got um the place I'm going to like I recently got given a. American uh, credit card. What? Look who made it. <laughs> so I've got a, a bunch of 
paperwork and stuff. I have to sort out when I get there. Nice. It was pretty funny. I went in there and they were like, yeah. I was like, I'm this, you know, it's credit to the, South Af- the American like banking system. But I was like, I'm from South Africa and I come to America often. Um, and I don't live here and I don't have a driver's license or anything. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, here's a credit card. <laughs> like, oh, cool, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't this like one of the major issues that originally crashed your economy is you'll give a credit card yeah, to like, anyone with like, a beating heart? I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> right. Now they're sending me them in the post, but as many as I want. It was pretty funny. Too easy. What's it like having a South African passport? The I'm green, not, what do they call it? The, the green mamba? The green mamba. Tell I'm me about the green to, mamba. I'm lucky enough to have a German one because my mom's German. Okay. Um, and I speak German, luckily. But um, yeah, that it's made my life possible pretty much. I wouldn't be able to travel like I do with the, with the South African passport. I mean, you could if you, Geordie or someone, you know. Geordie Smith. Yeah, like yeah. if you're in that kind of constellation, but we're not. Right. Um, what makes it so hard to travel with a South African passport specifically? Um, South Africa is the third world country. So anyone from a third world country going to another third world country is easy, but going to a first world country is yeah. really not easy. Yeah, it's, they're worried about someone coming and like staying for six months and working for a pizza well, place I mean, in a Christmas shop. Yeah. <laughs> Taking Americans work. That's what you're doing, Frank Solomon. I know. It's we're going to deport we actually, you. We're going to build a wall and we're going to deport you. Yep. It's funny, Josh and I, um, Josh didn't actually want to do it, but we were selling Christmas trees in a surfing magazine. We're like, oh, that's so cool. You guys are selling, slaying Christmas trees and like, and then surfing Mavericks, like we should do a story on it. And then, the comments were just like, you know, you're stealing Americans' jobs. Like, go back to South Africa. There's lots of people like next door to us who don't have jobs, but they didn't want to like be seen selling Christmas trees. You know, <laughs> it was funny that that was people's first reaction. How would you sell Christmas trees? Like, to, to walk me through, were you like a full salesman? Like, oh, this is the Christmas tree that you want. Would you this like is- a noble fur or Douglas fur? <laughs> well, I don't know the difference, Frank. What's the difference between a well, noble and a Douglas? The, well, the noble has le- like harder leaves and it stays greener for longer, so I would go for that one. But no, my friend Marty Magnuson, San Francisco, um, he sells Christmas trees in Christmas time, and he had a little Christmas tree lot, and he asked Josh and I to help him out, and we just it ended up being a really, really profitable business for us. <laughs> Two South African guys. Josh had a huge beard and. We worked uh, every single day from Thanksgiving till Christmas, like the whole day, all night, you know, until I think we closed at nine or 10 and just sold trees. We sold so many, we sold a thousand Christmas trees. A thousand Christmas trees, bringing joy to the American family. Do you do... um, $40, $50 a tree. Is Christmas as big in South Africa? Uh, It's pretty big, but not as big. Yeah. It's not, it's not... um, no, it's definitely not as big. What are some <laughs> I, of the biggest holidays the, there? It was actually quite overwhelming when I came here the first time and it was all the Christmas like tradition. It's pretty crazy. A lot of lights. A lot of lights, a lot of like a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um See as Americans we show each other how much we love each other with stuff. Indeed. You know, it's yeah. the best way to show love in my opinion. <laughs> actually my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Mm. I think it's a great holiday. I think every country should have Thanksgiving. Because you just with your friends and having a good meal and 
The spirit of Thanksgiving is very cool. Yeah, the history maybe not so cool. The history is a little bit of a dark spot. You killed all the Indians and then gave them a turkey? Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do any of this, okay? <laughs> but, yes, I do find it interesting that we have Columbus Day, who, uh, if you read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, Columbus ended up killing more people than Hitler. Anyway, really? Thanksgiving is um, well. You spent Thanksgiving with us this yeah. last this well, last I went, year. And we went caroling. We we went caroling. <laughs> that was so much fun. How could I have forgotten? Yes, the spirit of Thanksgiving. And I Christmas with you. Wow. Christmas Eve. Oh, Remember, we were with your mom and. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but Christmas and Thanksgiving, the spirit, especially if you do it well, um, where you're. You're expressing gratitude, yeah. right? You're saying things that you're grateful for um, is one of the best things that you could have a holiday around yeah. for. No, it's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we went caroling. That was so much fun. Went caroling. Yeah. So uh, our friends um, and I uh, go caroling each year and we roll deep, like 20 deep with. I was impressed. He just like, Carl's like, we went caroling. I was like, oh, a couple of us ago. And he like, called into this like conch shell and like 40 people arrived and had printed up. <laughs> News team, assemble. And he had, um, we had vans of people with lists of songs. It was very professional. It was very professional. It was like a one, a two, yeah. a one, two, I was standing three. in the back like, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. <laughs> I was standing in the back didn't know any of the words just drinking hot toddies. It was pretty fast. <laughs> The small African boy in the back. <laughs> small African village. <laughs> no, that was cool. Uh, people get that's so cool. frothed. That's people what's get cool. So but that's what I really like about America is how um, welcoming and friendly people are, you know? Like, just welcome me with open arms. Like, I didn't know any of those people. And they're like, oh, what's up, you know? Yeah. And I think um, South Africans can be quite, within South Africa, can be quite closed off and not as, like, welcoming. I don't know. What, was the, what has been the biggest thing that you've learned as a result of leaving South Africa, traveling the world, sleeping on people's couches, mm-hmm. um, and kind of having it come full circle now, having a movie being made about you? What, what would you say are the biggest lessons you've learned from those experiences? Biggest lessons? Sure. Um, I think that the most valuable lesson that I learned is that I, I had a couple of points in this time I've had nothing zero like zero money zero couch to sleep on no food to eat um, but I'm I was okay so and I survived and here I am so having that knowledge that and they talk about Seneca talks about you know in the the stoic the stoic philosophy thinking back I guess that's kind of what it was but I I had nothing I've had nothing and I was okay and I think learning that lesson like being down and out bottom of the barrel is the most valuable lesson I've learned because everything else um, after that seems like a a blessing you know absolutely so going and experiencing that was the biggest lesson I think I've learned because a lot of people never go they go to college get the job you know have the family whatever they never experienced the like nothingness in a foreign country not being able to phone your friend or whatever like phone your family being away being completely alone and I think that 
that's definitely the most valuable lesson because you know you're a, you know you're going to be okay when did that happen for you um happened and describe that conversation happening in your head when you were in that situation um i think i was in thailand i'd sailed there from south africa anyway it's a long story but i was just um you are an international man of mystery <laughs> i was like i i had my i had really bad surface ear, and but at the time both my ears were completely blocked and there was like blood coming out and, and you can't if, you, if you've had it really bad you can't like just you can't unpop you can't, it. You can't, it's just completely... You're deaf. You're deaf. Yes. And so I couldn't hear. I had no money because at the time, the sponsor had promised to give me money to go to America and surf maps for the second the second year, and they didn't come through. And so I was in this, in Thailand with zero money, like blood coming out of my ears, and questioning what I was doing, you know? And then um, actually had a female uh person that i've met and she woman woman yes um and companion companion that i'd met uh and she would give me some money in the mornings for food and stuff and for my accommodation so you know when my ears and i went to go see the doctor in thailand and he's like he's like you've got cancer in your ears i'm like what do you mean i've got cancer in my ears i just unblock my ears but i couldn't hear anything and I didn't have enough money to go there and then she helped me get that and then my ears were unblocked. And once my ears were unblocked, like nothing that I was like, I'm on top of the world right now. I can hear. Like and so then, you know, having no money was a little bit better because I could hear and I could speak to people and stuff. So yeah, that experience definitely was a game changer. Also that trip from Cape Town to Thailand across the Indian Ocean was also a game changer just being like in the middle of the ocean uh with no communication to the outside world and like huge seas you know like four in the morning sailing a 40 foot boat down a wave and you can't see like your hand in your face and there's no cell phone no radios nothing like that that experience is also very uh humbling and also when you feel like bottom of the barrel like that then when you do come on land it's like everything's like whoa you know like look how look how cool this is you know so i think those experiences have taught me a lot and yeah i don't know just still trying to learn what got you on a boat from cape town to thailand my friend was like i'm going to thailand you want to come i was like okay <laughs> and um and he's like well i'll pay for everything so i was like well it's closer to america than here so i'm not ready but a little bit and i was like I wanted to go then after that to Mavs, you know. And, uh, yeah, that kind of got that conversation going. That's cool. That was cool. It was a really life-changing experience. for. Uh, yeah, 6,000 miles, um, three months at sea. And they were, like, chased by pirates off the Seychelles. I got just fend off a shark that was trying to bite me. And just being in this little capsule that goes from yes your little house and you go like to each country and this boat that's your home it was just really cool experience it's wild how much um happiness is derived from uh i guess sadness is derived from comparison yeah right well and we always compare up yeah 
about how if you know oh, if you, I mean, a lot of people have their um i'm guilty of this too for sure we're so, oh, yeah, i don't have as, enough instagram followers yeah like, look at him he has more, he has more instagram followers than i do oh and it, you can let it ruin your day no that's I mean, I'm I am bad too. Like yes. everyone is. I think it's a human emotion. But what I try and do in that is like, so like when people when so when people when Hurley sponsored me, people like were telling the guys in Hurley South Africa not to sponsor me because I couldn't surf good enough and I couldn't do airs, and um, and then I and then I, I was like, well, you know, if you want to talk about airs, then can you do airs like John John? Because if you want to talk about the airs, those are the airs that people are doing to get paid. So if you can't, then being able to do it or not doesn't really make a difference. And they're like, oh, whatever, whatever. So I think, um, what were we talking about again? We were talking about happiness and we're talking about... Uh, but yeah, so, so like comparing yourself to other comparing people. Comparing yourself. It's like if, if you think like you have, someone has 10,000 followers and like, oh, we're 10,000 followers, but then some other person's got a million. Yes. So then the gap is, I think it's the same with money, you know, like you have $10,000, you want a million, but then when do you end wanting to have that money? There's no end because it's never ending. What is enough? It's the same. Instagram money is the same. What? Um, Instagram followers and money. Yeah. It's the same thing. What habits have you changed um, to do that less? and Compare myself? Yeah. Just be happier. Uh, I struggle with that. I mean, I'm... Uh, I struggle with um, with uh, comparing yourself, especially in surfing. You know, You're like, well, this guy's doing. It. Look at that wave. Like, why didn't I get that wave? You know. Um, so yeah, it's tough. It's hard. What have you done um, to get better at it, though? I've tried to start like meditating a little bit and trying to be more present, as they say. Yeah. Try to start a meditation practice, and when I do think those thoughts, I try and not go too far down the rabbit hole or just try and at least stop it halfway, you know? Just be like, okay, hey, just get out of your own head type of thing. Because I can get very in my own head and start freaking out about things. What's your meditation practice? At the moment, I'm using an app called Calm and I just try and do 10 minutes. I, I, I'm a very beginner, but I try. I use that too. You do? It's great. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, because you always have 10 minutes. And they've always got, they've got a bunch of options. Yeah. But I say I'm going to do it every day. I'll be like, yeah, I'll do it every day for a week and then I'll do it like once in two weeks or something. It's quite a, it's a really challenging practice. Yeah. So what does a, a conversation sound like in your head um, when you are getting to inside your own head? What is the conversation about? Yeah. Frank on the left shoulder and Frank on the right shoulder. <laughs> what does that sound like? I think I worry about things too much that I have no control over. And... Um, uh, and... I try and just not think about that. That's the conversation. It's like, oh, the, like, why is that that person saying that? Or why is that? And then, and then it's like, well, it doesn't, doesn't affect me. And I have no control over what they're going to say, you know? I like the one Tim Ferriss thing where he was like, because um, I've been recently talking about Hurley with like resigning my contract. And I was mailing them and they were never replying. And I was like freaking out. Like, what? Like, why is no one replying? Like, no one can be that busy. Like, why is no one talking to me? You know, like, did I do something wrong? Like, did I say something? You know, you create these ideas of things that aren't real. And then the Tim Ferriss show was like, oh, he was, Tim was said that he thought he was busy and he would like, 
he wrote out this whole thing to give a publisher for the four hour work week and the guy's like dude I don't have time I can't read it and he took it so personally and now he says he gets three and a half thousand emails every day and he literally can't read the emails it's not that he's upset with the person but he is that busy so I think yeah I think he said something along the lines of like we we, we mistake uh, maliciousness for busyness yeah exactly yeah you immediately I think it's human nature you immediately think that because someone's not replying that they're upset with you right one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in regards to email is that if you email someone and they don't respond at least immediately imagine that they had a relative that just died yeah and come at it from that point of view yeah and then your follow-up email should continue to come at it like they just had a relative yeah. that died. No, and email, yeah, it's just, I guess it's not the email as a, is like a metaphor for worrying about things that you have no control of, whether it's relationships or Instagram or Facebook or uh, money. Um, yeah. Who have been uh, some of the most influential people in your life? Uh Either directly or even someone. Um, I know, think listening to podcasts. Podcast. You, you introduced me to those, those podcasts. That really changed my life. I think. I did. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Podcasts changed my life as well. I really think they did. I mean, I'd heard about it before, but then on that trip, you were like super into it. What do you think it is about podcasts that influence you um, more than uh, other forms of media? Um. I think you have to really concentrate. You have to just sit there and listen and concentrate. It's not like you're just watching a TV, but you're not really watching. You're just seeing things happening in a way. Yeah. Um, the podcast, you have to, if you want to listen to it, you have to really like listen to what the person's saying. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything from it. So I agree with that. And it also, I mean, for me, one, I, one thing I love is the exploration of ideas. Yeah. Right? You go onto Facebook... And you can watch a hundred little get, snippets. This lost. little boom, boom, boom. Yeah. This is happening. This is happening. Oh, and all of a sudden, I just feel like my head's going to explode. I'm like, Jesus, I need a beer. Yeah. Whereas if I'm listening to a good podcast, there is time to explore an idea, right? And when I get out of my car or wherever I'm listening to the podcast, um, I truly feel like I understand something a little bit more. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate so much. No, yeah. Um, Just in the same way that maybe someone listening in their car right now to you feels like they know you a little bit better yeah. now. Um, it's an amazing medium. And, and I trip out that it's been on the iPhone for so long. I mean, Apple must have just known it was going to be a big thing. That's pretty incredible. That is incredible. And it's free. It's free. It's free. You can learn anything on anything on those podcasts. There's all the information in the whole world right there. You can just down. That's where the internet is incredible. Fingertips. Fingertips. What are some of your favorite podcast episodes that you would recommend people uh, to check out? Rick Rubin, <laughs> Tim Ferriss show one. Uh, we interviews Rick Rubin in this barrel sauna, and I like the Wim Hof. I don't know. I really like the Tim Ferriss show. So I guess most of his are good. Some are not, but most of them are really informative. I agree. Um, I'm trying to think of like a really good one. Oh, the Rick Rubin one's so good. Um, actually, I really enjoyed the one recently of the guy, the YouTube guy. Do you listen to that? I haven't checked that one out. I've heard of yeah, it. Though. That's a good one. 
All right. And uh, also what I learned from that was stoicism. And I've since listened to that, have bought uh, and I'm busy reading Marcus Aurelius' Meditations. And yeah, it's a pretty amazing book. So thanks for changing my life. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> um, I got to take you to the airport now. Let's go to the airport. Uh, where can people find you who maybe want to connect with you and either say that they love you and that you changed their life or call you an illegal immigrant <laughs> and tell you to go me. back to Africa? I'm going to get to the airport and be like, I heard you. <laughs> African <laughs> working. <laughs> where can people check There's you a out? funny story. Actually, I went, uh, you get 90 days on the old visa I had. So I went to Costa Rica for like two days. Like had a crazy time and came back and on the way back in Texas the guy was like I had to, went through secondary con, um, inspection or whatever at the airport customs and the custom guys are pretty intense if, you, if you're not like an American they can be quite intimidating and he's like what are you doing you've got a girlfriend don't you you working in America like and I was like no I'm just surfing he's like what do you mean you're just surfing like who does that are you a hippie I'm like I was like, whoa. I was like, no, I'm just going to go there and surf. Like, I'm so sorry. You're like, I need to sit down and meditate right now, okay? Because you're really stressing me out. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, bro, my flight's going to leave in like two minutes. He's like, I'm going to send you back to Africa. Don't worry about your flight. And I was like, whoa, I'm sorry. Like, please don't like arrest me. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen again. But, um, yeah, my Facebook is Frank Solomon. Instagram, Frank Solomon. Twitter, Frank Solomon. All O's, so... S O L O M O N. Yeah. Frank Solomon, good luck with good luck with the movie Thanks, premiere. Let's it. be Frank is gonna be out. Uh, where can people check it out? September nineteenth, it's gonna be on Red Bull TV, and then it's gonna be on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. Before you take off, please give this podcast a rating on iTunes. Share it with a friend. really helps. And if you want to check out the cesspool mini doc, go to my website, kyle.surf slash blog. Until next time, hope you have a fantastic day.